Uh, so we're going through my book, Alien Theology. Those of you who really wanted to talk about aliens, unfortunately, that's all the way at like the end of this. But that's really like the next two weeks, so we're doing it's a short book. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, we started off our conversation kind of talking about God and science. And if you weren't here last week, I was more or less trying to say, like, I was just surprised how much I found uh, my faith developing about God by embracing science. Because if you're like me and you grew up in the church, you're always kind of given this false dichotomy. You either choose God or you choose science. You can't have both. Uh, and eventually I came around to realize, you know, like, well, of course, God made science. So <laughs> it seems odd to say that you can only have one or the other. Um, but one of the big things that was always a struggle for people like me is I was especially taught when it came to things like uh, evolution, right? Uh, that the church was always like, you, you can either have the creation story as God made it, or you can have evolution and you're not a Christian. It's not one or the other. Uh, or you got to choose one or the other. And I, uh, I was actually one of those people who's kind of jerks about that growing up, you know, like I was always pushing back in science class, like, no, we made in God made it in seven days and things like that. Uh, but the more I uh, really, I hit that hard stop in college. I told this story, but I was sitting in Ken Brewer's class, Spring Arbor University, and we all had to write our paper on the creation story. Uh, did God make it in seven days? Was there some other way in which He did it? Uh, is evolution a thing or whatever? This teacher is brilliant. On top of that, he's very supernaturally minded. If you know me, I'm very much like that too. I've written a lot of, lot of books on the topic of the supernatural worldview of the Bible. So here I am listening to this guy who's cast out demons left and right, who's prayed for cancer to go away and it goes away, and seeing all these miracles. And when he prays for people, the Holy Spirit shows up and just crazy things happen. So I'm like, yeah, this guy's totally going to be God made the world in seven days. And then suddenly he's like, uh, why do you guys have such a problem with evolution? You know, <laughs> all of the scientists that I know are are fine with it, and they're all Christians. And that broke that down for me for the first time. I was like, wait, you could be a Christian and believe in that? Yeah, Elliot. Uh, well, if God made the world, why would He make Satan? Well, that's a whole another topic. If you want to talk to me later about that, we can. Um, but the short answer is, if you read the Bible, Satan was made to be a good guy. Um, he was supposed to do good stuff because he was every, every, every human being and every spiritual being is made in God's image. So our job is to image God. But just like a human being can decide to do bad things and image something else, so spiritual beings have that choice too. So then why wouldn't God take Satan out of the world? Uh, he does in the end with Revelation. Uh, but... Yeah, we, we can only go so deep and still get through what we need to talk about tonight. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that later. Um, but here I am, you know, suddenly realizing, okay, so apparently Christians can believe in evolution and, and Jesus and God. I don't know what to do with this. Uh, but then I started realizing, like, you know, like evolution to some extent is kind of like a natural idea, too. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I walk around a zoo... <laughs> I'm like, that animal looks exactly like that animal, except it has a longer tail. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, hang on. Oh, okay, so things have just changed over time. Basically kind of the same animal type thing. Uh, but then as I started being more open to science, I started realizing, like, you know, it's not a whole lot of, we don't always need to freak out. And 
I understand the reasons we do. I hope that tonight we can talk a bit about that and kind of help us not freak out. But, yeah, as we go along, if you have questions or thoughts or comments you want to add in, feel free, just like Elliot was, uh, raise your hand and interject. Um, but the Rabbinical Council of America back in, I think it was 2005, they said evolutionary theory properly understood is not incompatible with belief in a divine creator, nor the first two chapters of Genesis. And I love this because this is the Rabbinical Council. They're descended from the Hebrews who gave us the Bible, you know. So even the people who <laughs> are within the, the race that has given us the Bible, they're like, we don't see a problem here. Uh, with our scriptures and and this uh, this theory and all of that, um, on top of that, we can see it today. Uh, how many of you have wisdom teeth? All of you, hands up if you have wisdom teeth. Sorry, hands up if you were born with wisdom teeth. Casey, you weren't. No, I mean, I think I was. Okay, he still has them. Like it's, not everybody today has wisdom teeth. You don't have wisdom teeth? So this is like an evolutionary development. Today we don't need wisdom teeth because the things we chew are softer, easier, uh, things like that. And so uh, genetically, people who uh, have stopped having them, and that's starting to grow as you know genetics continue that. All right, guys, everybody do this. Take your thumb and pinky. And now aim your wrist upwards. How many of you have a little band that pops out of your wrist? Some of you do, some of you don't. How many of you, I think this is me. How many of you have a band that comes out of one wrist but not out of the other? Both. Most of you are probably both. Occasionally, I think you can just be one or the other. Neither? Yeah. You don't have one? Yeah, so you're all different on that because this, again, is another evolutionary development. Uh, you needed bands like that to like hang on to things a lot tighter, you know, and whatnot. But we don't all have them anymore because we don't climb or jump around trees and all this. So like you don't need it anymore. And so the bodies that have departed with it passed on those genetics because they're not really in need of it anymore. So um, all that being said, like those are just little examples of like change over time affecting uh, bodies in ways that we can see today. The fact that some of you have it, some of you don't. But you're all still, of course, human beings. Um, since the church has always been like, you can have science or the other, here's what has unfortunately happened. I think science has become a new religion, uh, which has become like the atheistic religion. You know, like you can have God or you cannot have God, which is funny that like atheists would still end up with the religion. But I think there's actually atheist churches. Have you heard of these? Yeah. I've heard of it, where like they get together and they have their own songs and things like this, uh, just kind of joining together in, in the praise of science. But like, you know, science is God's thing, and uh, I don't think we need to like. We've created this problem where the world feels like they have to have one or the other because that's the way that we framed it. Uh, I realized how how religious the scientific community is when I went to see Neil deGrasse Tyson speak in uh, Detroit. Have you guys watched The Cosmos or anything? Yeah. Okay, so when I watched The Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, I was just so blown away by creation. Uh, even though it kind of has an atheistic spin, like I was watching it as a Christian, just like, holy cow, look at what God's created. This is insane. Um, 
And so I, I just I, I started listening to his podcast constantly and whatnot. Um, but my wife caught on that I liked it. She got me tickets to go see him in Detroit. We went, uh, and I just remember, like the place was sold out, sold out. This is the Fox Theater. If you've been to the Fox Theater, this place is huge. Sold out for a guy to ramble on on a science lecture for like two hours. But I real I like felt like I was in church. He was reading quotes from old scientists, the hymns of old poems from Carl Sagan. People were clapping along the way. Uh, one guy, I like to think he's from like the crazy denomination of science. <laughs> one guy like stood up in this room of thousands of people. And he's just like, when are you going to talk about KIC 564-78? You know, something like that. Uh, I don't know if you remember this a few years back, but there was a star that was blinking and one of the theories I came up with was that there was like a giant Death Star spaceship orbiting the solar system. And occasionally it would get in the way of this star and like dim it. <laughs> this was one of the theories that people came up with. So this guy, you know, thinking like, are there aliens or no? Just stands up in a room of thousands of people like, are we alone or not? And watching Neil deGrasse Tyson, like a good science pastor, just <laughs> try to calm him down and be like, Oh, yeah, so you're talking about this thing. Yeah, well, no, uh, it's probably just uh, debris or a planet blocking it or something. Uh, but, like, you could feel, like, just a different kind of, of faith in the room. Um, so, yeah, with all that being said, I just kind of realized just this, uh, this, this world that I was starting to get into and, and how much I enjoyed that I could blend science and Christianity to, together now. Uh, but unfortunately, the church doesn't sound like that. We usually sound like the dress argument. Uh, you guys remember the dress? It's if blue it and black. blue and black or gold and oh, white. Gold. All right, how many of you are blue and black? Yeah, I can't remember which. I meant to put it on the screen. I forgot about it. What do you mean by blue and black? There's a well. Let's. You know what? Let's just see if we can find it. Yeah. The dress. All right, hands up for blue and black. What? Huh? Is it blue and black? Hands up for gold and white. Wait, really? Wait, Tyler. Yeah. Wait, I feel like what Tyler sees is the truth. He's colorblind. Blue and black again. And gold and white. So weird. Okay, so. It's actually in real life gold and white. No, it's actually in real life blue and black. So here's the thing. This is what the church often sounds like. Is we're always like, you know, like uh, you can't have. This is the way that the world is. It's it's gold and white. And then when they actually do the research, it's blue and black. So like this dress can only be one color. I know we all see it differently right now, but it can only be one color in real life. And if you go and find this dress, it is, in fact, blue and black. What Christians sound a lot, a lot of times, Christians sounds like this to the community, right? No, it's, it's gold and white. And like, well, we've done the research. It's actually blue and black. Mm, no, I don't care what you've seen, even if you've looked into it. It's definitely gold and white. And they can hold the dress up in your face. And if you saw the dress in person, it would be blue and black. The reason that you see it different here is because of the saturation that's on the photo that causes everyone's eye cones to see it differently. Yeah. So, 
Is this like a a important dress? Uh, no, I'm. U- <laughs> <laughs> I'm using it as an analogy right now. I'm using it as an analogy right now. Is that like if we saw this dress in person, we would all agree it was blue and black. But Christianity could be so stubborn sometimes that we could stare right at that dress and be like, still golden white, you know. Uh, this is why we need to be a bit more open to these conversations. Augustine actually a long time ago. Uh, he was alive three fifty four to four thirty. Sometime during this time, he wrote a, a famous quote that Christians who love science use a lot. Maybe you've heard it before. It's, it's kind of long, but it's worth reading the whole thing. So here's what Augustine said about science 1,500 years ago. He said, usually even a non-Christian knows something about the earth, the heavens, and the other elements of this world, about the motion and orbit of the stars, and even their size and relative positions, about the predictable eclipses of the sun and moon, the cycles of the years and the seasons, about the kinds of animals, shrubs, stones, and so forth. And this knowledge he holds us to be certain from reason and experience. Now, it's a disgraceful and dangerous thing for an infidel to hear a Christian presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture, talking nonsense on these topics. And we should take all means to prevent such an embarrassing situation in which people show up vast ignorance in a Christian and laugh him to scorn. The shame is not so much that an ignorant individual is derided, but the people outside the household of faith think our sacred writers held such opinions, and, to the great loss of those whose salvation we toil, the writers of our Scripture are criticized and rejected as unlearned men. If they find a Christian mistaken in a field which they themselves know well and hear him maintaining his foolish opinions about our books, how are they going to believe those books in matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven, when they think their pages are full of falsehoods on facts which they themselves have learned from experience and the light of reason? Uh, He keeps going on from here, but in case the language is kind of too old, he's like, look. When we take the Bible and we're out like telling people uh, crazy things of, that uh, we hold is true, even though they show us the dress is black and blue, and we're like, no, it's not. Our Bible tells us otherwise. They're never going to trust your Bible. They're never going to trust Christians. How are they going to trust things that we hold like our big deals, like resurrection? Like, you know, that's, that's hard to convince people on. It was hard to convince people on in... in and in uh, Jesus' day, it's hard to convince people on today. How are we going to convince them on things like resurrection if they hold up the dress that's blue and black? And we're like, no, it's not. So with that being said, we need, to be, uh, we need to be careful about the way in which we do things here. Uh, Christianity actually has a lot of good science tradition behind it. Uh, we talked about this last week, but Gregor Mendel, uh, can you read that? <laughs> Gregor Mendel, he was an Augustinian friar, uh, but he's known as the father of genetics. So everything that we know about genetics today, like a lot of where that started, was with a Catholic Augustinian friar. He was the one who started discovering this. The Catholic Church actually has had a long history with uh, scientific development and trying to understand God's creation more on that level. Furthermore, uh, Jorge Lemaitre, we talked about him too, um, this was a guy who tried to break into a party that Einstein was at to tell Einstein about this theory he had. He's like, look, we're all rapidly moving away from things. The stars, we're moving away from the stars. Uh, we're picking up momentum. 
everything is expanding outward. So here's my theory. If we're all expanding outward, we must have at one point all been closer together. And something must have just like blown up that sent us in all directions, which of course is the Big Bang Bang Theory, right? Uh, You know, for a long time, we're like, no, that's, no, God made the world without anything like that. Uh, Well, it's actually a Catholic priest, a Jesuit priest who came up with the theory, tried to tell Einstein, but Einstein didn't listen. And then uh, Edwin Hubble discovered it uh, a few decades later and now it's been attributed to Edwin Hubble. But scientists recognize that uh, Jorge's Lemaitre was actually talking about this sometime before that. Part of the reason people didn't want to listen to him, though, is because they knew he was a priest. And they, they thought, like, uh, if he's giving us a scientific theory, he's just trying to push creationism off on us. So they weren't willing to, to really take him seriously. Uh, okay, let me pause for a moment. Any questions or thoughts before I keep moving here? Do you want to explain how Yeah, that's actually where we're headed next. Any other questions before we get into that? And we did talk about that a little bit last week, so um, I'll try not to rewind myself. Uh, So part of that conversation is more or less, um, we have to learn to read our Bibles well. Uh, You all have to understand, like, my whole job is based around the Bible, that's how a pastor works. And when you graduate from college, the one thing you learn in pastoral ministry is the only thing you really learned in in four years was how to read a Bible properly, not all the other things you have to do as a pastor. So like, you know, the Bible is very important to me. I take it as uh, very serious for me. It's God's word. I don't water it down. uh, And I don't, uh, when I come across something confusing, I don't just chuck it out or whatever. Um, so for me, this is not about like, oh, this doesn't line up with the Bible. The Bible's wrong. For me, it's, I got to learn to read the Bible better, uh, to understand it well. And here's the concept a lot of people have of the Bible is that, um, God just dropped it out of the sky. (laughs) You know, like, here's your holy written word. It's for you. Or that, uh, someone was writing and their eyes rolled up in the back of their head and they started just writing everything down which is witchcraft, by the way. That's called automatic writing in the occult. (laughs) So that's another theory people come up with. So it's partially learning how to understand the Bible. Other religions will tell you that they had an angel show up and dictate their Bible to them, things like that. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the way that God has worked in all things. You know, we're always saying, like, God, why don't you just show up and fix everything? It's not the way he's programmed things to work. He's created the world in such a way that he co-labors with us to do the things that he wants to get done, right? If he wanted to do it himself, he could just do it himself. Instead, he's working with us. He does the same thing with the Bible. Uh, The Bible is not just like some people wrote some really good things we put together and hold it sacred. The Bible is God-breathed, like inspired. And so these people are writing uh, as the Holy Spirit leads them. But they're still people. And because they're still people, they're writing from their time. So they're going to write in ways that make sense to them. Uh, They're going to write uh, with cultural assumptions that may not necessarily always be like uh, God assumptions, but the way that God's working in their time. Like if you pay attention, the Bible grows in its understanding of how we should live, right? I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they're like the first big 
people in the Bible to be following God. They're a half-brother and half-sister who have married each other. Now, you fast forward a few books of the Bible, you find out like, hey, you're not supposed to do that, right? You fast forward to today, and there's a whole lot of other moral things where like, mm, you probably shouldn't marry anyone in your genetics, things like that. Um, that's called progressive revelation. It's the idea that God doesn't just download all information to you at once. He works with you where you're at, and he grows you over time. So Abraham and Sarah, God sees them, and he chooses them, even though they're not living like the perfect moral life. He chooses them anyways. Down the road, people can look back at that and be like, Abraham and Sarah shouldn't have done that, and we shouldn't do that either. Uh, the same is true with uh, um, scientific understanding. Okay, So in the Bible... They laid things out the way that they understood the world. It's not wrong. I mean, scientifically, it's very wrong. But it's not wrong that God used the way that they understood things. Uh, you know what? Let's pull up another thing here. For us, we see the universe as a sphere, right? Rotating in space around the sun with other planets rotating around that. And the moon. Is the moon rotating around us or is it just stuck in place? No, it rotates. It rotates. Okay, so. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I mean. You know, I'm talking about science. I know what I'm talking about here. Um, that is not the understanding at all of ancient times. So here's the understanding of how the world works from a biblical understanding. If you were to live in ancient times, you live on land, right? If you walk in any direction for as far as you can, eventually you meet water, right? <laughs> So in your mind, not seeing the world from a satellite view, in your mind, there is a piece of land that you live on, and at the end of the world is water. That's, that's the end of it. There is no sphere where eventually you come back to where you were. It's just flat earth. That's the way they thought. Uh, likewise, um, you've got uh, Sheol, the place of the dead. When people die, they're buried, and they go down to this spiritual realm that's under the earth because that's where you put bodies. Um, yeah, and then uh, underneath Sheol, you have more water because you're just a piece of land in the middle of water in all directions. Uh, in the sky, you've got the firmament. That's this black thing up here. Um, and that's, that's more or less like a um, snow globe, okay? So we live in this snow globe, and the sky is inside of that snow globe. But above the sky is this water dome, that holds everything up in the sky. On top of that, mountains are pillars for the sky in ancient thinking. Okay? So the, the, the mountains go so high that they hold up that firmament. They're, it kind of keeps it in place. And then above all that, you've got the sun, the moon, and the stars. And stars in ancient thinking are gods because they live up in the heavens and they move around so they must be alive. Does anyone agree with anything that I just told you? <laughs> yeah, well, but like, okay, are they scientifically wrong? Absolutely. But are they wrong to think that way because of their culture and what they can observe and understand? So you're Look, man, people are going back to flat earth, so I, I, <laughs> I cannot help with this conversation. Uh, one second, Elliot.
But here's the thing, like, you know, we fight about things like evolution, like, no, God couldn't do that. But every single Christian today in 2019 would tell you that this does not make any sense, right? This is biblical understanding. No Christian is going to be like, oh, those stars are gods. <laughs> no Christian is going to be like, oh, no, the earth is flat. Well, people are going back, so. There's one thing right about that. What? The mountains are higher than the sea. Very good, Casey. Very good. <laughs> but remember, this is the creation story, the way that we talked about it last week. A lot of the important stuff about the creation story is God's trying to communicate important values. So there's already water when God shows up to create. What God does is he pulls land out of it. He starts creating order in the midst of just total chaos. And so this land that's been raised up that people live on, and there might be more land islands out there, you know, but in their mind, the earth is flat, shield's beneath it, underneath shield, there's more water. In their mind, if you, Revelation actually shows this, Revelation talks about how the land will give up everyone who died in it in the end, and the water will give everyone who died in it in the end too. Why does it think that way? Because in their mind, if you died in the sea, you were in a different spiritual afterlife than if you died on the land. Like, these are all just different kinds of ancient thinking. Now, scientifically, we know this is wrong. But does, does anyone blame them for thinking this way? No, I don't think God blames them for thinking that way. In fact, God used what they did understand about the world. And he talks about, okay, so if you think there's a firmament, I'm God. I hold that up. It's the reason you haven't died. I'm protecting you. You think there are... Uh, um, you know, anything that he's got here. He would just paint himself into that picture. Uh, he does that in other places too. Uh, there was another culture that believed in a beast called Leviathan that would come out of the ocean and could destroy everyone. God, instead of just saying Leviathan's not real, what God does is he says, I'm in control of Leviathan. He's like a puppy on my leash. He's got no control over me. So instead of God saying like, you guys are misguided, he's like, sure, you believe in this beast? I'm in charge. This is a proper understanding of how to read the Bible with, with eyes that, that see it uh, within the culture that it's written in. So I'm not saying that uh, when you come across these difficulties that like pitch the Bible, it doesn't make sense. What I'm saying is you just got to read the Bible better. When you come across scientific facts, you need to understand God did not write science to a science community and they did not care. And if God, uh, imagine this, let me, let me read it to you. Imagine God talking to Moses like this. So if you want to tell him how creation would have happened from a scientific perspective. All right, Moses, you know how you bleed when you get cut? Well, if you were to zoom in on that blood to a microscopic level, you would find something called a nucleus. And inside of that, you find DNA. Now, DNA is loaded with all kinds of information that causes you to be you. I put three billion bases on each strand as far as Humans go, 99% of you have the same exact bases. So this creates genes, which is a part of the way you can tell you're different from other creation. And like, you know, like that doesn't make any sense if you were to read that in the Bible, because that's not the way God would communicate with them. They wouldn't want to think that way. They wouldn't be able to handle that. And when they learn like, oh, you came from uh, another creature, creatures evolving over time, they'd probably be like, okay, so we worship all the gorillas because there are gods, we came from them. You know, like it just, it would not mix into their culture. Uh, 
And when we look at the Bible as though it's got to be scientifically accurate, we're just misreading it. That's more or less what I'm saying. Even Jesus. Jesus is God in flesh, right? God put on a human body, came and lived among us. And Jesus at one point says the smallest mustard or the smallest seed is a mustard seed. Scientifically inaccurate. Orchid seeds are smaller, right? So is Jesus, is God in flesh scientifically wrong? No, but do you think Jesus was like, all right, guys, you know the mustard seed? Very, very small. I want to talk to you today about the orchid seed because that is more scientifically accurate about as small I want to talk about. It just doesn't make any sense. So you have to give the Bible space to breathe in its, its own way and talk in its own way. Um, all that being said, there's always a possibility that God's, uh, God put little nuggets for us down the road to maybe look back at it. Uh, there's a book called The Genesis Enigma by Andrew Parker, who's a scientist. Not, I don't think he's even a Christian. I don't know if this uh, science has been changed either because it's, it's about 12, 15 years old. But The Genesis Enigma, Andrew Parker was like, guys, I don't know what to do with this. The way that we think evolution happened is like the same order of creation for the seven days in the Bible. Like, there's no way that just like happens. Statistically, that makes no sense. <laughs> And so maybe there's a possibility that God, you know, here's the way I'm going to tell an ancient generation, but down the road they're going to understand better and they can understand uh, stage to stage how things went. So all that being said, you always come across uh, these ways in which you see God writing the Bible for us. Uh, A good quote I've heard many times, God wrote the Bible for you, but not to you. Okay? He wrote it for you, but not to you. So when you come across things that don't make sense to you, you need to just stop and think, okay, this is God's word, but how do I understand it better? When you do that, things like evolution, Joel, you were talking about how does creation and evolution line up. I would just say if you read your Bible from an appropriate standpoint, you'll understand what God was communicating to them. There's only one God, I'm him. I made it all. This is the order that I've put into creation in this order. Humans are on top of all that order. Uh, Eden, if you look at all the other ancient Near Eastern creation myths, Eden will be seen as like the place where God dwells because the God at the end of all the other myths takes up residence and rests in that place. So on the seventh day, you see God resting in that place. Eden is his temple. It's where he dwells. That's what ancient people needed to take away from it i sometimes you wonder like were they even like concerned about god creating the world in seven days or were they concerned about all the themes that i just gave you because that's what they would have picked up on based on all the other myths that they had heard about all the other gods and how they created the world uh okay so don't know if that was helpful or not questions thoughts comments etc otherwise i'm done Do it. Really quick. Um, I know history is kind of science related, but it's not really. But because of the way the Bible was written, also, there's a lot of historical stuff in there. Like, if some people who read it, you know, read the Bible, whatever, they are not Christians or whatever, will be able to pick up on a lot of historical stuff that's in there. Mm. But that's it. Yeah, and even some of the historical stuff can be off. This again shows you flawed humans working with God to write a Bible. It's still his sacred word, but he wrote it through humanity, right? Compare Chronicles to First and Second Kings. 
They both tell the same exact story, but the facts are different. Read the four Gospels. <laughs> they are all different. In fact, sometimes the writers, like our intention, John takes a story that's at the end of all the other Gospels, puts it at the beginning of his Gospel. Chronologically, John is out of order, but you know what? It's people today that care about chronology and footnotes. People at his time would have known what he was doing. Okay, so Jesus is flipping temples this early on in John's book. John's communicating to us that Jesus is the new temple. He is going to overthrow the kingdom of this world and install the kingdom of heaven. John wants to communicate that right from the get-go, whereas the other gospel writers put it at the end because it's like the climax of, of what's going on. Like, that's not bad Bible writing. That's actually really good literature thinking, you know? Like, John's thinking, how can I communicate this in a new way so people get it? Still a true story that happened, but John has changed some of the details. That doesn't make the Bible wrong. It just the way that they write in their time, everyone would have understood that. We look at it today, we're like, mm, John, check your footnotes. That's not how it went down. 75% of the Bible says this was at the end. Like, again, this is just trying to understand to read the Bible better, and that's hard for a lot of people to do. Yep. Another thing that like, I have talked about in one of my classes with Cornell and Spring because like, I guess I, for a long time, like had kind of an issue with that. Like, I was like, why are all the stories different? That's super weird. <laughs> But I guess uh, one way in how I kind of look at it now is like they're each telling it in a different, in a way to show Jesus in a different light. So it's like they're highlighting, like all of the details happen, they're just highlighting different details to show God yeah. in different ways. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know, I just think that's an interesting exactly. way to look at it. Yeah, that's actually the case for Christ was a book that came out some time ago. This guy used to be a detective, and he's like, look, as a detective, when I talk to four people and they tell me the same story, I know they're lying. They've worked out all the details to cover something up. I expect that if everyone's telling the truth, they all say it differently and remember it differently because of the traumatic experience that happened. So there's actually legitimacy to the fact that there's differences between stories in the Bible. It speaks to the detective work of it yeah okay well let me say that i think i said this last week uh but this book that i wrote is like jamin after he's processed all this stuff you rewind like 10 15 years and you have jamin who like is going through crisis trying to figure this stuff out so i understand like depending on your background if you grew up in the church Talking to you for 30 minutes about this might either be like Jamin's either a heretic or like Jamin's just destroyed my entire faith. I hope you don't feel like that, but I would love to talk to you more if you need some encouragement and some space to work that out. Uh, I'm not, uh, I actually don't even have a problem with people who believe in God creating the world in seven days because I believe God could do that. I don't doubt that he can do that. Um, and I don't think it necessarily like hugely changes your faith if you believe that. What I do think it does, it's a better witness to the rest of the world, that Augustine quote, right? The rest of the world can trust us on greater matters if we can show them that, that we can trust on uh, things that they hold to be evidence. When they show you the dress and it's blue and black, when you can look at them and be like, I agree with you on that, but I still believe in Jesus. I still believe in God. If anything, the dress points to God. My analogy is getting away from me at this point, but <laughs> if you're following me, then you know what I'm doing. 
Okay, uh, let me pray for you, and then we'll get back to some free gaming, or you can take off. So, God, we just thank you for time to study your word. Uh, I just pray for everyone here, how they process it. Would they just, uh, uh, would it bring them closer to you? That was one thing that I loved. When I really dive deep into science, rather than uh, it freaking me out and sending me away from following you, it actually brought me closer to you. I actually started to... uh, admire your beauty and your complexity even more. So I pray that everyone would have that experience. Uh, Jesus' name, amen. I will say this, this is weird. I went on this huge science binge for like a long time. And after I finished this book, I literally haven't read up on any science, listened to any podcast. It was almost as though... Like I was being prepped to put this together and after I'd sorted it out, just released from any concern about it anymore. So I'm speaking from something I wrote a few years ago. So if I'm not up to date on stuff, it's because I'm not held to it anymore. Yeah, I'm the beyond moon still does rotate around the earth. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the moon does rotate around the earth, so we're told. But the earth is no longer a sphere. So no, it's a cube now. 